1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 13. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Turning to Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The word of the Lord. Okay, good morning. We're concluding our uh, four-part series this morning that we've called The Power of Habit. The Power of Habit is uh, the series we've used to start off our year, and we're thinking about particular ways in which the gospel of Jesus Christ can more flow into our hearts, particular lifestyle habits that we are to live into and develop. Today, we're looking at the habit of moderation. I know all of you are super excited about that and have been looking forward to hearing me talk about moderation all week. So uh, here we go. Gene Twinge. Gene Twinge is a psychology professor at San Diego State University. And she's also one of the world's foremost experts on generational differences in American youth. So she spent 25 years in an academic career studying trends and changes from one generation to another. So for example, how do teenagers differ from Gen X to millennials, etc., etc.? And uh, she studied generational differences all the way back to the 1930s, so almost a century's worth of data at this point. She published an article in 2017 in The Atlantic, and in that article she notes that these generational changes almost always appear very, very gradually, very gradually. Uh, But starting around 2012, she noticed a shift in measurements of teenager emotional issues that was anything but gradual. Uh, Young people born between 1995 and 2012, which she calls iGen, the iGen. So this is the generation that comes after millennials. This generation exhibited remarkable differences, differences that aren't at all gradual compared to the millennials who came before them and all the other generations preceding the millennials. And these differences, sadly, are not positive at all. The rates of depression and anxiety, and and mental health issues uh, skyrocketed for this generation. And Twinge began to research what caused this change, and she repeatedly came to the same conclusion. What was introduced into our world in 2007 that has so changed things that it can have this dramatic of an impact on our latest generation? Anyone want to take a guess? the iPhone. I've got mine with me. Oh, the iPhone um, introduced in 2007. She, She writes in the article that is titled, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? She writes this, quote, these teenagers have lost the ability to process and make sense of their emotions or to reflect on who they are and what really matters or to build strong relationships or even to just allow their brains time to power down their critical social circuits which are not meant to be used constantly, and to redirect that energy to other important cognitive housekeeping tasks, we shouldn't be surprised then that these 
absences lead to malfunctions. Now, if you have teenagers or preteens, I would imagine that you would either identify with that or maybe even second that. If your teenagers don't struggle with this, praise the Lord. However, I think it's indisputable that this is a general trend. But let's be honest, folks. It's not just teenagers. It's not just teenagers, is it? That have been impacted by the world of online connectivity that we can now access through this supercomputer that resides in every one of our pockets or purses at any time. Every single one of us have been formed by the digital world in which we now live. Perhaps malformed by the digital world in which we now live. We've been formed by our use of screens and by our use of media. Another author who researches this topic perceptively notes that because of our use of digital media and screens, all of us, quote, have a permanent background hum of low-grade anxiety that permeates our daily lives. We all have a permanent background hum of low-grade anxiety that permeates our daily lives. Now, what does this have to do with the scripture readings? I'm so glad you asked. Everything. It has everything to do with them because of this. If if we're going to develop spiritual habits uh, that form and shape us and that filter the love of God and the gospel further into our lives, we simply must learn to live with moderation. What is moderation? Moderation is to live within restraints, to live within limits for our own good. Now, these scriptures, they take the concept of moderation and they situate that concept into the context of a gospel-centered life. So, like prayer, like Sabbath, like friendship, these other habits we've thought about, moderation actually frees us. It frees us to live a fuller and a holier and a happier life. Now, typically, we think of moderation as something that constrains us, and it does indeed constrain us, but that constraint is where real freedom is found. When we think about moderation, we usually think about things like food and drink or sexuality, and those are, of course, appropriate topics to consider, but I want to argue this morning. And I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. There's no area in our modern lives where moderation is more important for our spiritual maturity than in our relationships with digital media and devices. We simply must develop habits and, and rhythms that prevent the digital world from controlling us, from enslaving us even. So, so that's our final habit. How to live in the digital world with moderation. So I want to do three things. First, um, let's ground this idea in the scripture and teach from 1 Corinthians 6, Philippians 4. Second, we're going to apply these problems, these issues to our immoderate digital lives. And then third, some practical advice on how to live moderately in the area of the digital world. So the freedom of moderation, digital moderation, the practice of moderation. Okay? First, the freedom of moderation. If you have your Bible, go to that 1 Corinthians 6 passage. Moderation, as I said, is a habit, and yes, it is a habit, that brings real freedom. That's what the Apostle Paul is addressing in this first letter to the Corinthians. Just a little bit of background here. 
Um, the Corinthian church that Paul had planted was struggling. If you're ever feeling bad about your own Christian experience or about the Christian experience of your church, just read 1 Corinthians. It will encourage you by way of comparison. Uh, they were a mess. They were a problem. They had all kinds of issues. And that's what Paul's dealing with here in chapter 6. And if you look at those verses that were read, uh, your translations probably see uh, have that all things are lawful for me, which he mentions twice in verse 12. Those are likely in quotation marks. The reason those are in quotation marks is because those were sort of maxims that the Corinthian Christians were living by, and Paul is quoting their maxim and then responding to it in his letter. So when they say, all things are lawful for me, in verse 12, and then in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, those are in quotes because that's what the Corinthians are believing and that's what Paul's interacting with. And here's what the Corinthians are thinking, and here's how they're living. If I, have a de- if I have a desire for something, I should gratify it. If I have a desire for something, I should gratify it. If I want a cheeseburger, I can get a cheeseburger and then eat said cheeseburger. If I want ice cream, I'm going to get ice cream. If I want to check Instagram, I'm going to check Instagram. All these things are allowable, the Christians in Corinth said, because we are now free in Christ. We're free of the constraints of the law. We have liberty in the gospel. Now, listen, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are culturally foreign to 21st century Americans like us. This is not one of them. (laughs) This makes a lot of sense, I think, with our culture. This is an incredibly common thought in the Western world as well. We particularly think that a few basic human actions eating and drinking, sexuality, entertainment, fall under this rubric. In fact, the basic worldview of the Western world says that, you know, we're basically animals who have certain physical appetites and that there's nothing wrong with satisfying those appetites as long as we don't hurt someone else. So if I want sex and it's consensual, go for it. If I want to drink and I don't hurt anyone else, go for it. If I want to be entertained and I can afford it, I'm free to do it, okay? So what does the Apostle Paul, what does God, speaking through Paul, say in response to this line of thought? Look in verse 12. All things are lawful, the Corinthians say, Paul's response, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, the Corinthians say. Paul says, I will not be enslaved by anything. And then again, in verse 13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, in other words, Paul encourages Christians to live with moderation. Christian freedom is not a license to a limitless life. It's not a license to a limitless life. God tells us to not use our liberty as Christians, to not use our freedom as an opportunity to cause others or to cause ourselves to stumble back into a new form of slavery which we were in before we knew Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul doesn't tell us He doesn't tell us to pursue moderation primarily because it's going to be good for our health physically, although certainly it is good for your health physically, as I know our doctor friends would agree to pursue these sorts of things with moderation. That's not Paul's main concern here, nor is he saying you should live with moderation because it's stoic and we can just sort of be above it all. That's not his reasoning. Paul says Christians, followers of Jesus, should pursue moderation with our appetites Because we can very quickly become enslaved to things that are allowable or even good 
because we want to make them ultimate. All these things are good. Food, drink, sexuality, entertainment. But the truth is, the truth is, human beings, Christians included, are extremely prone to excess. That is, we're extremely prone to taking God's good gifts and abusing them. And abuse leads to slavery. In fact, abuse is itself slavery. The gospel of Jesus Christ says we are no longer slaves. We are free. We're free in Jesus from the burdensome constraints of the law. And we're free from our sinful flesh, which used to enslave us, but no longer enslaves you if you are in Christ. So to live immoderately, Paul is saying, is to go back again to a different kind of slavery. It's to go back to Egypt when you've already entered into the promised land. And enslaved people, enslaved people cannot grow in gospel freedom. Enslaved people cannot grow in gospel freedom. So to grow, to develop faithfulness as a follower of Jesus, we must moderate our appetites for good things, especially for digital media. We must limit ourselves here by the help of the Holy Spirit and develop good habits of moderation. Okay, so listen, here's the question that the Holy Spirit asks me, that the Holy Spirit asks you, Are you living with moderation in the area of digital media? Are you living with moderation? Or are you you controlling your use of digital media and devices, or are they controlling you? I don't do a very good job of this. Uh, A couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, left work for work for the day, and I had a super busy day, meeting upon meeting, and I forgot my phone. And... uh, I realized I had forgotten my phone on the way to work, but I couldn't go back and get it. I had to make an appointment. And uh, you remember in Home Alone when Kevin's mom remembers she's forgotten Kevin in the airplane? Kevin! That's how I felt. iPhone! It was almost like I had forgotten one of my children. I felt panicked. I felt nervous. I missed my phone. I missed the feel of my phone in my pocket, wondering, I wonder who's going to text me and I'll get this vibrating sensation and look at it. I missed, I thought maybe I'm going to get lost. What if I get lost? I don't have my GPS with me. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? It freaked me out. It really did. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit ministered to me in that moment by allowing me to sort of have this this out-of-body experience where I could look at myself and, and what I thought was, wow, this is scary. What's happening to me? We're enslaved is what's happening to us. We're enslaved to Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or Netflix or iPhones or texting. We are, most of us. So we have to ask, listen, what is this doing to us? What's it doing to our souls? A lot. And almost none of it is good. We simply must limit this. We simply must limit this in our lives. We must not be mastered by our devices and by our platforms. We must live with moderation. So let's look at that for a second. Secondly, digital moderation. Now, I might have persuaded you already, or you might have already been persuaded when you came in today, that we're way too bound up. 
with our iPhones or our Androids, with our tablets, with social media, with streaming services, with apps, etc., etc. But you might not be persuaded that that's that big of a deal. Um, that that's really that bad of a thing for your soul. And so I want you to understand that I, it is, in fact, malformative. It is, in fact, detrimental to your life. Now, before I hammer the use of this, let me just say, is it possible to use Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Netflix or an iPhone or whatever with moderation? Yes, it's absolutely possible. But it doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality. Just like these other habits we've discussed, friends. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be an amazing spiritual mystic prayer warrior without practicing. You're not going to wake up next week and be able to do an amazing Sabbath where you stop and rest. You're not going to just magically have amazing friends that you can be vulnerable with and that are vulnerable for you. These things require efforts. The gospel is the end of earning, but it is not the end of efforts. And you're not going to just wake up tomorrow and no longer be mastered by your iPhones because you said a nice little prayer today in church. It requires intentionality. It requires training ourselves. It requires habits, especially because most of us are probably addicted to one or all of the things I mentioned. We're not at neutral. We are way in the red. So what might it look like for us to get back into the black when it comes to our use of these things? I mean, think about your life. Maybe you, I hope, that in the last month, you've tried practicing some of these things that I've been teaching on. Prayer, Sabbath, friendship. So let's say you want to wake up and and read the scripture and, and pray. But instead, you know what happens, right? Your alarm goes off on your phone and you go to turn your alarm off and you've got 39 notifications. And you're like, and 30 minutes has gone by before you know it. And you're like, oh no, I got to take a shower and go to work. Prayer's gone. Or let's say by some amazing miracle, you begin to pray and you're getting going, but then bing, buzz, zip, zap, whatever. Your phone speaks to you. It calls your name. And you're like, well, I wonder who's texting me. I wonder who liked my Instagram post. I wonder who's interested in me and cares about me as a human. Let me check. Prayer, gone. Let's say you're trying to practice Sabbath. Maybe not 24 hours, maybe just 12 hours, six hours, four hours, 30 minutes, whatever. And you're trying to stop. You're trying to rest. And so you get on Twitter and you're scrolling through Twitter and you spend 30 minutes and you get off and you feel so frustrated and so angry at all those idiots out there who, if I was in charge, they would not do this stuff, but they do do this stuff. And your heart and your soul just go into a tailspin. Or let's say you're spending time with a friend that you really love and you're having coffee together or you're having a beer together, but you keep getting these Facebook message notifications and you just can't resist looking to see what people are saying about. I I did that like three times this week, I'll confess. The point is, listen, we can't really grow in any of these other spiritual habits unless we can moderate our digital worlds. This is maybe the crucial keystone habit for our modern lives. We cannot develop spiritual discipline and really experience the love of Christ in new ways and really know the presence of God when we're completely taken by our phones and by our media. And so why is that? That's a strong statement. 
We cannot develop spiritual discipline while living immoderate digital lives. God wants so much more for his people. He wants so much for you. He wants so much for me. But we can't experience his powerful grace if we are just controlled by these things in our pockets all the time. So why is that? Let me tell you three reasons really quickly why I think I can say we can't grow in spiritual disciplines if we're immoderate in this area. First reason is that these things are engineered by the most innovative companies on earth to make you an addict. Do you know that? Um, There's a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. Some of you may have watched this. It's come out recently. And Tristan Harris, who's a whistleblower in Silicon Valley, used to work for Google, used to work for Facebook. He's one of the main people that they interview in this film. I'd encourage you to watch that. I understand the irony that it's on Netflix. I get that. But it's still worth watching. So at one point, Harris pulls out an iPhone and he says this. Listen, this thing is a slot machine. Every time I check my phone, I'm playing the slot machine to see what did I get. There's a whole playbook of techniques that get used by technology companies to get you using the product for as long as possible. They are programming people. There's always this narrative that technology is neutral and it's up to us to choose how we use it. This is just not true. Pause. This guy's not a Christian, by the way, but he is an insider. He was the guy that developed this stuff. He says, this stuff is not true. It's not neutral. They want you to use it in particular ways and for long periods of time because it turns out that's how they make their money. Why is it so important for us to moderate our digital lives? It's because you are in a war that you've all opted into when you sign up for social media or when you get an iPhone and it's a war for attention and your opponent is Apple. Your opponent is Google. Your opponent is Facebook. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. It's like going into a nuclear war with a pea shooter. It's a lopsided arms race. These things are not at all unlike drugs, especially in the dopamine hits your brain gets from, say, seeing a new Instagram like. So one reason why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to think about this stuff is because this is not neutral territory. This is territory where our attention is a hot commodity that's being fought over by the biggest and most wealthy and innovative companies on planet Earth. Second reason why this is an important topic is this. Digital media and devices do more harm than good in conforming our minds into the image of Jesus. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians 4.8. Marianne read it a moment ago. Listen to it again. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about, use your mind regarding these things. Now, let me ask you, you've heard that verse, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's God's word for you. Does your use of social media help you obey Philippians 4.8? Does your use of social media help you obey Philippians 4.8. Uh, there are good things that come from, say, social media. Sure, Facebook, as an example, might lead you to a really good article on 
wherever, the Gospel Coalition, that you would have never otherwise found that helps your spiritual growth. Sure, Facebook, for example, might connect you to a friend that you've not talked to in years, and you're able to reconnect and develop that relationship. That's true. That's true. But I do want to say that the cost for these intermittent goods is way too high. Much more often, if you're like me, we leave these platforms and we feel worse than when we got on. Much more often, what's going on in our minds, Philippians 4.8, is not pure, just, honorable, true. It's envy, anger, confusion, mistrust, um, animosity. Some of you might not have that experience, and if you don't, that's a wonderful thing. That was my experience almost universally. And if you don't believe me, just follow a random evangelical megachurch pastor on Twitter or Facebook and read the comments. You think I'm wrong? Go read that. That is spiritual sewage. It's like the worst of the worst of the internet. These are not real relationships, and they are not real people. They are bites. They're zeros and ones, and they are malformative. They do not help us think about what Paul calls us to in Philippians 4.8. Some of it might be good, but the cost you're paying, I think, is way too high. Again, some of you might not have that experience. You might be able to use social media in a way that doesn't cause your mind to just go right turn off of the road careening into a ravine. That's what my mind does. Some of your minds might not do that. That's great. But there's another reason I think we need to consider our use of these things. Third, digital media and devices, they take up precious time and energy that we could much more fruitfully devote to other things. Um, Adam Alter is a professor at NYU, and he's written a book called Irresistible. <clears throat> Good book. And in this book, he details his research into people's smartphone uses. And um, hold on. He downloaded an app. <clears throat> this app is called Moment onto his phone. And uh, Moment is an app that tracks how often and how long you look at your screen each day. And you're like, ugh, I don't want that app. <laughs> Too guilt-inducing. So he estimates before he opens this app that he probably checks his phone 10 times a day. And think about this. This guy's self-selecting to do this. So he's probably on the low end of iPhone usage. He devotes his life to people researching why people use their phone too much. So he thinks 10 times a day, he uses the app for three weeks and he finds on average, he looks at his phone 40 times a day and stares at the screen for three hours, three hours a day. So he's baffled by this. And so he contacts the developer of this app who gives him all kinds of data that they've compiled as more and more users have used Moment. Now think about it, the kind of people that use Moment or the people that are going to be in the low end of the spectrum because they're already concerned enough to download the app. But the average user of Moment spends five hours a day, five hours looking at their screen. Now, think about this with me, okay? If you just cut that in half, what could you do with that emotional, mental, spiritual time and space? You could sleep unless you have a little baby, probably not. Uh, you could read. You could pray. You could take a walk. You could talk to a human being. You could be alone. 
The point is, our, our choices to use this much digital media and devices prohibit us from making other choices. That's like an economic truth, right? That would necessarily be more beneficial for living a full life. Human beings are not wired to be constantly wired. We're not wired to be constantly wired. So not very intentionally, practicing digital moderation, I think, undoubtedly is having a dangerous effect on our souls. Whether you're a Christian or not, that is true. I think in in terms of our sermon series this month, it's perhaps the main way that we thrash in the water, remember the metaphor, rather than floating on the river that is God's love. Rather than resting in Jesus, we're full of anxiety and fear and doubt and worry. And I think the main reason is because we've been taken by our devices and by our platforms. But the truth is, can you hear me? Jesus wants us. Jesus wants our hearts to be satisfied with his love. Jesus wants our minds to know him and to long for him. Jesus wants our relationships to be life-giving and wholesome. There is a better way than digital slavery. God's people need to be leading the way in this. So what can that look like? Let's look at that third, okay? The practice. The practice of moderation. I've tried to give you some practical uh, discipline advice in each of these series, and I want you to know I'm a fellow traveler on the journey with you. I'm nowhere near arrived in any of these areas, but I have thought and prayed about this a good bit, and I'm seeking to make changes in my own life and want to encourage you to do the same. But before I give you some suggestions, can I say this? It is not legalism. It is not legalism for you to work for this. It is not legalism to set boundaries and limits for yourself. It's not. It is not legalism to make efforts to wean yourself off of addiction to social media or texting or whatever. The Holy Spirit helps us develop the fruit of self-control. And the Holy Spirit builds habits so that they can filter God's grace to us more fully. And so as we think about pursuing these things together, we're not doing these things so that we can earn God's love and earn Jesus's righteousness. No, we've already got that. That's free. That's grace. And so because we want to experience more of God's love and live more in Jesus's righteousness, it's okay to expel and put forth Effort in prayer, in Sabbath, in being a good friend, and in moderating our use of media, phones, etc., etc. Okay, a couple more minutes. Practical thoughts. What can we do to be more moderate with our use of devices and platforms? You could delete all your social media accounts forever. I'm not kidding. You could delete all of them. You, you can't, I, I don't mean just like pause it. I mean like literally delete it all right now forever. I think that would be a good thing. I'm convinced personally that these are more than not, more often than not a force of evil in the world for many reasons. I can recommend books, etc. But if you feel like you have to be on these platforms for your job or you're just not ready to go that far or whatever, okay, um, Although I do want to encourage you to just, will you pray for that? Pray about that. Think about that. But if you don't want to do that, delete the apps from your phone. 
so that all, only time you can access these platforms is through use of a desktop or you have to go to your web browser. And also, you're not going to get notifications constantly. But I would encourage you, if you want to live with digital moderation, get rid of those things, especially Facebook and especially Twitter. Instagram's not as bad, in my opinion, because of the nature of the platform. You guys know what I'm talking about here. You don't get off and feel like your mind is now sewage nearly as much when you've been on Instagram. So you could consider that. A second thing to consider is get a dumb phone. I don't have a dumb phone. I mean, I've got a smartphone right here, although I am thinking about it. Um, and if you aren't willing to do that, a less radical path is to turn off every notification on your phone except what's essential. Turn off everything on your phone except phone calls and text messaging, for example. Or eliminate web browsing apps. Or set a time limit on your apps. And then, here's the key, give someone else the password. If you have a time limit, but you're the one that sets it, why do you have a time limit? You can just pop, 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 time limit gone. Give your spouse the password. Or give one of your children the password. Or give your mom or your dad the password. Another suggestion, curate your use of media to six hours a week. Uh, or another number that you find to be reasonable. Now, I love stories. I love watching movies and TV shows when I don't fall asleep in the middle of them, which happens more and more often as I get older. You guys know this. I quote and talk about movies and films and books almost every week in every sermon. But, and, and I think we need these things. We need the best stories to fill our lives with beauty. I think that's super important. But we, what we don't need is binge-watching Netflix or Hulu or HBO. We just don't need that. And so what you could consider is thinking about, I'm going to devote six hours a week to this, or eight hours a week, or four hours a week, or whatever you think is good for you and your family, and watch the best stuff. Listen to the best stuff. Fill my life with the beauty of good stories that are being told, and eliminate all the bleh stuff. Instead of watching The Office for the 400th time, just don't watch anything. Curate your media. Take one hour a day and turn your phone off. Not silent, off. A little mini Sabbath within every single day. Put your phone to bed before you go to bed and wake up before your phone wakes up. I am terrible at this. One thing that I would encourage myself and us to think about doing in this regard is use an alarm that is not your phone alarm. Use an, they have these things. Do you know this? They have these things called alarms. I've had mine since I was like 12 years old. It still sits on my table, and it's got a tape deck on it, which is awesome. And um, I could use that as an alarm still instead of my phone. That would help me not immediately go to my phone in the mornings. A couple others, then we're done. Don't, this is going to make you mad, don't read the Bible on a phone app. Have you all seen one of these lately? This is a, a leather-bound book. And you can turn pages in it. It's tactile. It has words up, down, left to right. And uh, when you use this, do you know what it does? It's the same words that are on your phone app, but it prevents you from going boom, 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 Netflix notification, uh, Facebook notification, pow. Twitter, ooh, boom. Ooh, who texted me? Who loves my Instagram post? Just stop doing that. Just read the Bible. And, you know, we know what you're doing when you Instagram your Bible reading for the day. That can be good. That, that's okay. That can be a way to encourage people. But it's per, just stop doing that and just read the Bible. I think that's a helpful way to get rid of our addiction to devices. Last one. Okay. Do a 30 day digital declutter. 
So I read a book this week called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Great book. And he suggests this. He says, for 30 days, eliminate every app off your phone, literally everything. And then at the end of 30 days, put back on your phone whatever corresponds to your own value system, whatever is going to really make your life fuller and better. So maybe you've got an exercise app that you think will really help me be more disciplined in exercise. We'll put that back on there. Maybe you've got, you know, whatever app that's going to encourage you, that's going to help you be more faithful, that's going to help you be a better dad or mom or child or whatever. Put that back on there. But I would bet the majority of our apps we either don't use or we don't need. So do a digital declutter. We do food and drink detoxes all the time. Can we not do a digital detox? There's all kinds of other suggestions. When you meet in your community groups, I want you to think about this. I want you to listen and ask questions about other ways we can moderate our digital lives. Here's the last thing I want to say as we wrap up this series, okay? The reason I've spent four weeks on this is because this is an area in which we are weak. We're just weak in this area, church. I'm weak in this area. And we need to identify that and grow. We need to commit ourselves faithfully to being in the presence of God through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, through prayer. We need to commit ourselves to stopping and resting and delighting in Sabbath. We need to commit ourselves to relationship and we need to commit ourselves to not letting our devices enslave us, but controlling them with moderation. And I'm convinced that if the Lord, by his grace, helps us to continue to live faithfully together in these ways, he will do more in us than he has done beforehand. More in us than we can ask or imagine. Weightlifters, apparently, allegedly, so I've heard, when they do really intense workouts, um, they won't do like, you know, a hundred reps. They will put on a ton of weight and do like two, three, four, five reps uh, and take their bodies to beyond the limit. They call this progressive overload, right? And, And they develop a reservoir of strength by doing this that they can use later in life. To do that requires more than just a few nudges. More than just a few hacks. To do that requires discipline. The grace of discipline, the grace of habit is there for us in Christ. That is what we should go after together. We're ending this series today. We're starting Daniel next week. But we're not ending this idea. I want us to push forward together this year and believe that the Spirit will use powerfully our commitment to the power of habits. Let's commit to this for the year. Let's engage in some progressive overload spiritually so that we can build up a reservoir of strength in our hearts that will be there for us when we need it most. Let's pray.